Welcome back to Burn the Haystack with Josh and Jesse. I'm Jesse. And I'm Josh. And this is a podcast to help you save the best and burn the rest of your faith and cultural black practices. Oh no, I got it the wrong way around. <laughs> oh no. Oh, well, I think we'll, we'll just run with it. People get it. People get it That's by okay. now. <laughs> People know that we're not perfect. <laughs> no, absolutely. Hey, and we are so excited because this month we actually have themed the whole month of our what? podcast. That's right. Burn the Haystack has never done this sort of thing before. We um, have never been this organized. No. <laughs> we, I still wouldn't say we're that organized, but we're doing pretty good. Um, and so this month, what are we talking about, Jesse? Um, this month, we're talking about how you can invest in making your local church the best that it can be. I'm sure there's a snappier title for, for that, which we'll work on, but that's essentially what this month is all about. We want to really help you in your local church context. I know this kind of sounds a little bit exclusive for our non-Christian listeners, but if you are part of a local faith community, um, yeah, this month we just want to help you to be able to engage with it and to be able to make it the best that you can be with everything that you've got. Mm. Maybe we should call it Church Invest in the Best. That's so Hillsong. <laughs> I like it. I love it. I love That's it. That's great. All right. Anyway, but before we do that, we've got a new segment. It's Woo! time for the question of the week. Jesse, what's the question of the week? All right. This question comes from um, r slash ask Reddit, um, which is a great subreddit. Um, this question is by username stuff01. Nice. So shout out to stuff01. The question is, it's the year 3000. Scientists have discovered that the universe isn't infinite and they've sent out a team to the universe's edge and you're lucky enough to be one of those uh, on the team. What do you see? <laughs> okay. My answer for this would always be exactly from Futurama. <laughs> I don't know if you ever saw that episode where they go on a tour guide to the edge of the universe and at the end it's just like this really average... It's like a Brick. It's like a diner? No, oh, there is a diner there, but like that's a sort of the edge of the world diner. And then there's a little wall with one of those like binoculars that you put a dollar coin into and you just look out and it's just white. There's just nothing <laughs> out there. <laughs> that, that for me is the edge of the universe, always. See, I, I love the idea of parallel universes. Ooh. So I would hope that maybe if our universe isn't infinite that we are kind of like a whole bunch of golf balls jammed into a box. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. so, so if, you, if you go to one end of, of our universe, you're just going to see the beginning of the next golf ball, like the next parallel universe. Oh, that's cool. So Would it like, be like a glass dome sort of effect? I don't know, maybe. Or maybe it's just like there's either it's impenetrable, like you can see it, but you can't go in, or like you can actually go in. I don't know what, how that would work because if you're a part of a parallel universe, like there'd be different laws of gravity, different laws of physics, probably different laws of the universe. I don't know. I don't Maybe. know what they are. I don't know. There might be a little toll booth at the end to get into the next one. <laughs> <laughs> with a, a, with a, a little middle boom eight. gate. 
Yeah, yeah, with a with a, a little um, middle aged woman named Sandra manning the booth. <laughs> the bear, man, I love I love our theories of the edge of the universe. That's just great. All right, so <laughs> anyway, but let us know, people. What what's your answer? What do, what do you reckon yeah. would be at the edge of the universe in the year three thousand? Yeah, let's um, let's get some answers that are a lot more scientific than anything Josh and I can come up with. <laughs> all, I'm pretty sure it's ants. the binoculars with the dollar. <laughs> all right, but let's get into the episode today. Um, today, today, and uh, we sorry that was a bit too much. We have a really cool. Um, well, next this will probably take a couple of episodes to get through because there's a lot of stuff. Um, but what we want to run you guys through today is seven steps to bring change into your church. Um, yeah, so this is, I mean, you could see this as seven, seven steps to start a revolution in your church if you want. <laughs> um, but what this is, this is from like, I, I guess because uh, we're both pastors, we're really giving you guys the inside scoop on exactly what you need to do. If you want to bring a, like a new thing into church or change the way something's done, this is honestly like the best way we can think of to do it. Um, that isn't manipulative or anything like that, and isn't yes. doesn't. I I, th- I don't think this causes much controversy. I think we've made it in a way that this is actually the sort of stuff that gets laid out in a church manual, but yeah. we're making it a sort of um, too long didn't read, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> which is still probably going to be pretty long in the end. But that's okay. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, but the plan is as well, we're going to release this as a little blog, but this will be the more um, expansive version of it to help you get a better understanding. And yeah. And I think this is really, I think this is really important because for a lot of young people, at least, you know, when I was growing up, when I was a teenager, when I was a young adult, you, I, there was this, there's this feeling that you can't really change stuff. Mm. Like there was this feeling that we're going to complain about all the stuff that we don't like about church, but we're actually not going to do anything about it because, well, it's too hard and because yep. the power structures are too overwhelming and the institution is is too um, complex and complicated that change is actually not possible. And I don't think that's actually true. Um, no, me neither. Um, and I, I think a lot of people, they just don't get how it works. So this is a really like, here's the system, here's how it works and here's actually what's expected. Um so I think I think this will be helpful. Um, some of you know, and for some of you, this might seem really obvious, but I'm still sure for at least most of you, there will be some stuff on this that you wouldn't have thought of. Definitely, definitely. All right. So number one, Josh, is do you have anything else you want to preface this with, or do you want to just jump into number one? Uh, I will. Okay. I, I, I want to say this one one thing as well. Um, you could use all this to, I guess, you could use all this to manipulate. Uh, so we're asking you to use this information responsibly and in a mm. way that's real. Uh, how, how do you say this? Like this is really actually between like something that God is prompting you with and you really feel led by the Holy Spirit. Um, I'm not saying that to put a, like a block up, but I'm just saying like you could easily, like knowing this stuff, you could use it to manipulate the system and people do. So we yeah, want people to true. actually, you know, be kind to your church and be kind to yourself Um and yeah, really just like, well, I guess this really comes into the first step, but ultimately yeah, we want this to be like a, something that's like actually led by the Holy Spirit. 100%. Yeah. Um, sounds so, 
so spiritual compared to how we normally talk on this podcast. Well, yeah, <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. No, I no, but I think it's important to note that out of the gate because you're right. We you could use this information to just push an agenda yeah. or to push what you think is the right thing, and I think it's important to temper a lot of these techniques with with wisdom and asking wisdom not only from God but from the people around you. Um, so I think that's important. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so first step, and you are going to hate how obvious this is, but we need it to be the first step every single time. So first step is to pray. <laughs> so people are like, oh my gosh, did they actually just say that? Yes, we did. Um, like, to be honest though, the amount of people I've talked to who just complain about things happening in church and they never actually pray about it, like the yeah. amount of times I've asked people, I'm like, have you actually prayed about that? Like, have you prayed about how much you hate the worship in church or have you prayed about how much you hate the structure of the program or how insane this drives you or have you actually took, taken time to just pray about it? And so people are like, no, not really. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I, yeah. it's a, I think it's so obvious that so many people don't do it. And then we wonder why our churches are full of conflict and um, poisonousness and, and, you know, toxicity. You know, I think this is really important. I, you know, I remember growing up and talking to my friends about church all the time, but we never prayed together. We never, you know, actually uh, dedicated ourselves to seeing change happen. And that's why change never happened when I was a kid, when I was a teenager. <laughs> yeah. I used, to hang out, I used to hang out with the 19, 20-year-olds when I was like, 15, 14, 15, because that's all that we had in our church. We had oh, okay. a bunch of 12-year-olds, a bunch of, you know, 14-year-olds like me, and then we had a bunch of 19, 20-year-olds. And so I used to hang out with the older kids and we used to, yeah, complain all the time, but we never actually prayed. We just complained about how things, how we wish things were better and things never got better. In fact, my home church is still pretty much the same as it was 20 years ago. <laughs> mm. So, yeah, yeah. Well. <laughs> Uh, and, and that's what I, I don't know, there's just, there's a, a big disconnect, especially if you're, if you're somebody who's not currently involved in your church, um, it can be really easy for there to be a big disconnect between you and like the, the leaders who are involved or between those who really serve regularly. Um, mm. So I think it's actually really important. And, and this is really where it begins. This is begin, where you honestly begin to see things happen in your church when you really take time to pray for them. Uh, even if it, honestly, like a couple of minutes a week. Like it doesn't take much yeah. to like earnestly pray for your church. Um, but yeah, I mean, you could be praying every day and that's awesome, even better because then you can be more specific about what you want to pray for. Um, mm. But, you know, if you need some help with what you're going to pray for, um, take some time to pray for the leaders in your church. Um, that's huge. Like, honestly, um, I'm, I'm saying this as pastors, like, we need your prayers. <laughs> yeah, 100%. 100%. Yeah, so pray for your pastor. Um, pray for the elders of the church if you know them. If you don't, And this is a great way even to learn who your elders are. If you're like, I want to pray for my elders. Wait, who are the elders? <laughs> okay, yeah. Then you go and begin to work out who they are and what their names are. Um, yeah, I think that's like super important. Um, mm. Mm. Praying for your local community as well. Yeah. Um, like as in... Well, you're praying for the church community, the people who attend the church, but then also the surrounding community around the yeah. church as well. Like, do you actually love the people in your city or in your town? And do you want to see them come to new life in Jesus? Like that, you know, a lot of people, you know, don't have that, that, that hunger. They want to see 
Jesus come again and they want to see the second coming, but they don't necessarily love the people in their local community. They just kind of see them as a means to an end. Yeah, that's a really good point. <laughs> Seeing people as a means to an end. Oh my goodness. Um, yeah. 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 Um, like pr- praying for, even praying for the other local churches in the area. Like, yeah. I don't know. I think it's important. Um, yeah. And um, it, Oh, yep. Yeah, no, and and I think I think as as you've already touched on, this is really about filtering out your personal agenda. I, I you know because it's so easy to pray with your personal agenda in mind, and pray for the things that you want to see happen and the and the changes that you want to see happen, and that's great. And you know we we have to believe that God has given individuals visions to see specific things happen. And that's why we say that it's good to do specific prayers but it's also prayer is also an opportunity for you to allow your own vision to be shaped by by god's vision um mm. to allow your personal agenda to be shaped and molded to god's personal agenda yeah absolutely so praying for vision and wisdom um yeah it's huge and then even praying for something like courage because some of the stuff we're going to get into can be a bit nerve-wracking for people. Um, mm. So praying for things like courage, like, Lord, really, like, steal what's in, in in me, like, make it strong and make this conviction really strong and give me the courage to actually follow through with it. Because um, it can be scary. Like, honestly, leading change anywhere, if you're doing it right, <laughs> I think <laughs> is scary. Yeah. Because um, things could go wrong. It could go horribly. And then people be like, this is your idea. What have you done? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Yeah, but I think if you I think if you come at it from and you come to this place where you believe that God is calling you to a specific thing, like you've laid aside, you've put on the altar, as it were, to use really spiritual language, what you want, and you believe that God is calling you to do something specific, um, then it it's no longer your thing. It's like, well, this is not my thing. This is not what I want. This is what you know God is calling me to, and you know, then it becomes about more than just you, um, mm. which is an awesome responsibility, but it's also, yeah, just as scary, <laughs> if not more scary. Oh, absolutely. Um, and then I think a big big part of this um, is when you pray, actually expect God to show up and, and do the things you've prayed for is a big thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> often we treat prayers like these little throwaway notes, like, God, please please do this. And then we don't actually expect it. Um, mm. This is something I need to tell myself, to be honest. It's it's, yeah. it's having the faith and the trust that God actually is going to do what he says he'll do, mm. um, which is mm. huge. Uh, like if you pray, God, um, I want more people from our community to come to our church. Like I want the marginalized and that sort of thing to come to our church. You better expect it. And then you actually better be ready for it. <laughs> <laughs> for it yeah. when people you know who maybe look and smell and think and act a bit differently to you when they start showing up you need to be ready for it and you need to be saying mm. hey this is actually god doing this not me this is awesome this is exactly what we prayed for let's keep praying let's keep leaning into what god wants to do 100 percent, 100 percent. and i think yeah that's huge because how many christians yeah myself included we say this is what we want but we don't it's like it's like we pray one thing, but we're actually hoping for another thing. Mm. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. You know, we're praying for God to show up and we're praying for miracles and we're praying for growth and we're praying for this and we're praying for that. 
but in our hearts, we actually don't, we're not prepared for it and we're not actually expecting it to happen either because we are um, pessimistic about it or we secretly just want to have the status quo. So I think, yeah, this is a real, we, we need to really address our hearts in this, in this area. Yeah. Um, so that's honestly the first and biggest step and we wanted to make sure we laid that out. I, I was tempted to not put it in but because I'm like, it's so obvious, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah no it is it is good but i think i think it's important that it is the first step and it's not the only step because either i think we get into one of two categories either we say oh it's not that important or we know it's important so it's like a priori it's like without you don't even have to say it it's just there yeah we have to pray of course we have to pray but we're not going to talk about how important it is or on the other hand we say this is the be all and end all you just have to pray and sort of hope for what you want and then God is going to materialize it like the secret or, you know, like visualize your goal or whatever. Oh, yeah. Um, so yeah, I yeah, think, yeah. <laughs> you know, so I think, I think it's important that it's there, but it is step one. It is step one. So that is step one, pray. Align your heart with God. Sorry if you can hear a lawnmower in the background. It's really loud. The guy just showed up <laughs> to mow my lawns and it feels so loud today. Anyway, um, okay. The second step is attend. Um, again, you're probably like, oh my goodness, what is with these <laughs> steps? But honestly, this is important. Um, do you, like, yep. like the amount of people I know who complain about a church that they never go to mm-hmm. infuriates me. You know, or maybe yep. they go there once, I don't know, once every two months or something. Yep. I literally had a church member complain to somebody else who then talked to me about when we the fact that we have to set up our chairs every week for church mm. and set up our whole sound system. But I know for a fact that this person has never <laughs> yeah. has never actually come in on a Friday night or a Sabbath morning to set up chairs or, you know, the sound system. So I'm like, why are you complaining? What what it's like one of those indignant moments of how dare you complain when you've never actually contributed? <laughs> Absolutely. And even I remember this guy writing me a massive complaint about how we're doing too many new songs and, and nobody in the church knows them. Which wasn't true. This isn't. This is at a previous church I was at, and he said that to me. And then I kind of was like, "We've done one or two new songs in the last four months, um, and we've made sure we like had a good process." And then I realised it's actually because he's only been there twice in the last four months, <laughs> so he doesn't know these songs. But he's like saying, "No, nobody knows them. Like uh, the whole church is singing them except you." So <laughs> I don't know. Like I don't think you can adequately get a grasp on like what's happening with the church if you're not attending the church service on a Saturday. I know the church service isn't everything when it comes to a church, but it's kind of like the main event, really. Like that's where we all gather. That's where we put the most effort and time. So if we're going to be honest with ourselves, that's where that's the big part. And if you're not Mm. regularly attending that, um, I'm not saying you have to be there every single week, but like the more you're there, the more you're actually going to get a real grasp of what's happening in your church. And it might sound lame, but when it comes to attending like every week or almost every week, you actually become an outlier because of the attendance stats that are current and that are trending in this area. The average um, church attendee in the West now only attends church once or twice a month. Like that's that's an average. Wow. If you show up three or four times a month, you become extraordinary. You become, 
you know, that outlier, that person that is, you know, absolutely doing, going above and beyond what the average person is. And, you know, we don't expect people, I, as pastors, we don't expect people to come and be on the worship team every week. But if you're on the worship team once a month and then you're not at church for the rest of the month because you're not rostered on, to me, that says something about your commitment. Um, and that's, yeah, not to, you know, single anybody out, but that that is a trend that I've noticed in churches that I've worked at people only sometimes come to church when they're rostered on. So it's like, well, if you're only coming to church when you're rostered on, maybe I should roster you on every week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's a good, that's a good strategy. And like, I don't know. I want to say this from a really understanding point. I know life is crazy. I know we yep. all live different lives. And these days we seem to be on the move a lot more. Um, and so like, I get it if you can't be at church every week. Like I'm okay with that, but I'm just saying the more you're there, the more you're going to have a real grasp on your church and know what's happening and it it gives you more ability to actually lead and speak into it um so i yeah. like for, for example worship worship leaders man i would struggle to have like i would struggle to have somebody worship lead at my church if they're only there when they're worship leading because then it doesn't actually give you a real picture of what it's like from the other side and to worship 100%. lead as part of the rest of the congregation i don't know um yep. And I think as well, I should note before we move on to other things, the onus is also on us as church leaders to be able to provide options for people because I know that many churches, my own included, can get stuck into the same old, same old routine. We meet at 11 o'clock every Saturday or every Sunday or whatever it is for you. And that's like the only time that we meet together. And mm. we know from the data, I mean, even from when we talked to Paul King Brown, like a whole bunch of episodes ago, he talked about how when he did his market research in London, the best time for them to, to meet as a church ended up being four o'clock on Saturday afternoon or something like that. And so that's what they did because that was the best time for people to actually attend their church. And so maybe us as church leaders have to um, get serious with, well, is 11 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday or a Sunday the best time for us as a church to meet or do we need to change so that people can better fit us into their schedule because it's not like they don't want to. It's just that, as you said, life can be crazy sometimes, especially when you've got kids and you've got birthday parties and you've got sports events and you've got holidays and you've got work functions and blah, 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 blah. The list goes on. Yeah. If you'd like to listen to our episode with Paul King Brown uh, in London, uh, it was episode number 57 called Real Life and Real Ministry in London with Paul King Brown. And you can hear there all about the research. Super interesting. Um, yeah. And no, you're totally right. And I mean, even if you can't be there, just maybe if your church has a live stream or if somebody's willing to just do a, like a little private stream on, a, on like Facebook or whatever, like in a Facebook group, you know, even tuning into that helps or catching up with it yeah. later. Um, those sort of things are really, they, they still, in my, in my book, it's still, you know, you, it's not as great as attending, but mm. it's really great if you can't attend. Like, I don't yeah. know. I think it's, it's yeah. awesome. And I will say this as a, as, a, as a pastor, when people who attend almost every week and are there for church events and are present and show up, when they suggest things to me, I listen to them. Absolutely. Because I, I know they're invested. That one person who rocks in once a month, twice a month, at the very most, you know, if that, um, when they have a complaint, I'm not as likely to listen because 
of obvious reasons. I'm like, well, what do you know? You're not even here. Like, why are you complaining to me about this when you're not even present? Uh, and obviously, I'm not going to say that to somebody's face because yeah, yeah. that's, that's, that's rude, but that's what's happening in, in the back of my head, um, just to be honest. Well, yeah. I mean, I've had people complain to me about things who are only there once every six months, and I'm like, I just don't... <laughs> I don't see why it matters to you. Like it's, but that's the thing as well. Um, the you regularly attending and being present at things, um, it actually builds trust. Um, yeah. It builds a lot of trust with with the church around you. So, like you're saying, when somebody is willing to suggest something, a whole lot of people are way more willing to listen if you're there. And if you like, say for example, if you, your church, you have one of those sort of church calendars where one week it's like the youth team is doing it and it's like awesome or whatever. And then the next week it's not the youth team. It's a different team. (laughs) Um, and it's just way not, it's really not your style. Um, it really doesn't, you know, connect with you. You might not get much out of it, but if you're there and you're supporting them, the other team, that will mean the world to them. Because yeah. if they don't show up, because I used to get so frustrated when people would only show up like when their thing is on. Yeah. Um, like, and then if I was taking it the next week and then they don't show up, I'm like, well, like you're not really supporting anybody except for what you like. Yeah. Um, there are always going to be people who do that. But if you want to really bring change to your church, you actually need to be really supportive of the whole church. Um, you might not love everything. You might not get much out of it, but that's part of, I think just part of what it takes. Um, yeah. Hundred percent, and even like, even in our lives, you know, there are there are worship teams that really just don't jive with what we like, um, and you know, there there are worship teams that we've worked with that really just do not hit our spiritual, you know, sensibilities. Yeah, yeah. But I've had to come to learn, and I and I and I do I have learned that um, it's great that they're there because diversity is good. And the more that we can model diversity and the more that we can be accepting of diversity, even if we don't like the country music or the, you know, the, the gaithers or the, you know, <laughs> all the old choruses, you know, it's not our thing. But just because it's not our thing doesn't mean it's not somebody else's thing. And we can't be happy and we can be happy for the fact that it is ministering to somebody. And so we need to support it. And I think that the same is for you. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Um, so we've got pray, attend. All right. This one, I guarantee you won't expect this one. Um, <laughs> and a lot of people will hate me for this one. Sit at the front. Oh, yep. but Josh, it's not cool to sit at the front. <laughs> it's cool to sit in the back and be on my phone the whole time and joke with my friends and be annoying. <laughs> That's cool. It is back in high school. <laughs> uh, I know. Well, I mean, it goes well beyond high school. Um, now I get it. All right, I'm going to say there are exceptions. You know, if you're if you're a mum with a baby, I totally get sitting at the back. Do you think that's totally fine? Or if you need Absolutely. special, like if there's something special you actually need at the back, sit at the back. That's fine. Um, but if you can, I would say sit at the front. Um, I'm not joking. This actually does make a difference. Um, I mean, even if it's not the very front row, like maybe that's reserved for the people who are involved in in this, like what's happening on the platform. But second, third, fourth row, whatever it is in your church, claim it. Um, Mm. Like go go there. That's that's seriously where it's at. Uh, Why? Um, Because, I I don't know, in the churches I've been to, maybe it's different in your church, but take a look who sits in the front few rows in your church. Who are they? 
Generally, mm. they're the movers and shakers of the church. Yeah. They're the people who you see, they sort of, you might see them as like they own the church. Mm. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, when, when especially when you're preaching or when you're worship leading, yep. the people that your eyes naturally drift to when you're doing those things on the on the stage are those people in the front row. And so the people who are in the front row, they are the most engaged. People sit at the back specifically because they know they're not going to be engaged and then they choose not to be engaged. That's that's just the natural psychology of the thing. So as you go from the back to the front, that mindset shifts. Like it, it's just how things are. Uh, and as well as if you're in the front row or in the first three rows, let's say, um, you are not, I am not, let's say, going to be on my phone as much. You know, as because, much, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I might be on my phone if I get a text message or something that's important, but if it's yeah. not important, generally I leave it in the in, in my pocket or wherever because I know that if I'm there and the preacher sees me on my phone or the worship leader sees me on my phone, that's a bad look. You know, even if I wasn't a pastor, like, especially because I'm a pastor, that's a bad look. But even if I wasn't a pastor, it's like you're here, you're at the front, people can see you, the preacher can see you, the worship leaders can see you, maybe that girl that you're into can see you. Oh, yeah. You know? know? (laughs) Or that boy. Especially, or that boy. I mean, especially if you've got a big fat Bible. Were you there at at Avondale with Sam Lenore when he was saying, (laughs) get the biggest Bible that you have and sit at the front? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And then the next next night, it was like this pack of boys who came in their suits and massive Bibles (laughs) and all sat in the very front. It was... was it was glorious. Great. It was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I, I seriously think the psychology, the psychology of it is is legit. Um, sitting yeah. in the front, it, it, it tells people that you're engaged. It tells people that you're here to be part of whatever is happening. Yeah. And as well, from the front, you, you actually set the tone for the room. Um, yeah. One thing I've noticed in, in my current church, we have these really energized enthusiastic people and they sit in the first maybe well we have a bigger church so they sit in about the first maybe five rows and they're like amen pastor hallelujah and honestly (laughs) they set the tone for the whole room if they're weeks when they're not there it's a completely different church wow but they always sit down the front and they they i don't even know if they know they do it but they they literally set the tone for the whole room and so like they say hallelujah, then you all of a sudden when they start nodding their heads and clapping and saying amen, I start seeing people in the middle start doing that. And when the people in the mm. middle start doing it, then the back people start like looking up from their phone being like, wait, what did I miss? Oh, did mm. I? Oh, that's actually something good's happening. You know, like so... <laughs> I know. As opposed to usual. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing. That's what about... Yeah. Like, and a huge part of bringing any change is actually starting to change the culture. Um, yeah. What's that? That saying, culture, culture trumps... No, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Every day of the week. Every day of the week. So if you want yeah. to bring change to your church, it always starts with the culture. And where do you change the culture? From the front. <laughs> uh, this is a, a little quick side note, but um, and I, I don't know how I feel about this, but this is something that I heard um, a while ago. At Elevation Church, they have a specific front row section five, four or five rows that is not available to sit in by the general public. Really? It, yeah. 
so if you've ever seen an Elevation Church um, sermon, um, there's that there's the floor section with the with five I think it's five or six rows of seats there. So there's maybe a hundred or so seats in total, maybe a little bit more. But those seats are reserved for I can't remember the exact title, but it's like they're super volunteers or they're mega volunteers or something like that. Something that sounds a little bit cringe, but basically. If you do really exceptionally as a volunteer, like if you get lots of gold stars or whatever it is that their <laughs> metric system is, you get to sit in the front row and the front row is reserved for people who are the most enthusiastic, the most passionate, those people who will shout out amen and hallelujah. And it's kind of seen as like this huge big honor that you get to sit in the front row because, well, number one, you get to sit in the front row, be close to... Um, his Holiness Stephen Furtick. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> but you, you know, but you, you also get to be you're you're the one who gets seen when the crowd starts doing stuff and the the camera pans to it. So, you know, they they specifically pick people to be in that area who are the most enthusiastic because, as you said, it does set the tone for the rest of the church. That's interesting. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about that. That's like yeah, the, I don't know that's either. like the next level. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. But that that's just like that's that is taking it to the next level. That's like yeah. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You could almost see that at oh and okay, I don't want to get into it. I don't want to, okay. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, like I guess that's like turning culture it's turning the culture on its head really. Um yeah, and a actually bit. setting a whole new culture for sitting at the front rather than sitting at the front. Because you, you go to so many churches and like the first front like five, six rows are just barren. There's no one in there. Yeah. And it becomes a total buzzkill, you know? Yeah. Like yep. everybody feels like less engaged um, because there's this whole gap in the church. The pastor feels like he's preaching to less people. Um, they're yep. further away. The worship doesn't sound as good because everybody's further apart from each other. Um, so I always, you know, just after you do it like two or three times, maybe once or twice, it does not feel awkward anymore. Yeah. But any yeah. church I go to, I always sit in the first few rows. I think people just get so self-conscious. Like if I say something or if I'm enthusiastic or if I show, you know, a little bit of emotion or a little bit of enthusiasm, well, people are going to judge me. And so I think a lot of people come to church expecting not to engage and expecting not to be engaged. And so they become like a self-fulfilling prophecy because they think, I'll come, I'll sit to the middle or the back yep. and I'll just let somebody else be the enthusiastic person. I'll just let somebody else, you know, lead and then I'm not going to do anything because, well, what could I do? You know, people just judge me if I say hallelujah or if I clap or if I say amen or whatever. Yeah. But people get it in your head. There is no one else. It has to be you. It has <laughs> you, to be you. <laughs> if you're listening to this podcast, you have it in your ears, you have it playing it in your kitchen, in your lounge room, whatever it is, it has to be you. Yeah. Now, okay. if somebody is up the front saying really bizarre, ridiculous things, maybe that's not the time to say amen, hallelujah, but maybe that's the time to say boo. I don't know. No, no, I don't <laughs> no, want to I'm encourage heckling. I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I have a, um, there's a church member that I used to have who would audibly make jokes. Um, oh, you know, he, yep. he was this old guy. He was, he was a lovely old guy, He but he would audibly make jokes sort of to his wife, but he would always sit in the front row and so everybody would hear his jokes and everybody would kind of giggle, but and I would sometimes I would ignore it, and sometimes I would engage with it, and sometimes it was funny, sometimes it was a little bit, a little bit off kilter. Yep. 
But even that would set the tone. Like, absolutely, that your church is a place where it's okay to laugh. You know what I mean? That's right. Hopefully, it's not at the expense of the preacher. You know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but actually, it's it. Now that you mention it too, even if the preacher is up there and they're preaching something that's not not gospel, um, like. Even that is kind of, it would be good that you're sitting up the front because if you're real quiet, then people know, hey, there's something wrong with this message. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, 100%. And look, there are preachers out there like that. I mean, I, I, um, my, my, one of my uh, churches I was involved with back in Australia just recently heard about a preacher who went on for two hours about everything under the sun, you know, women in ministry and music and how it's all evil and all that sort of stuff. And if there were people in that church who usually, you know, spoke up, maybe the preacher would have realized, oh, hang on, maybe I'm not, you know, what maybe what I'm saying isn't resonating with, with this crowd. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes um, it doesn't matter. Sometimes they'll do it anyway. But, you know, well, I think yeah. it's important. I think it's important that churches figure out their culture and they embrace that culture wholeheartedly because it really helps to set the tone as to what's appropriate and what's not appropriate when it comes to preaching and sharing and all that sort of stuff in church. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, sit at the front. Start doing it sit, or towards the front, maybe not the very front row, but whatever. It's like sit, sit at the front, set the tone. Um, if you can sit at the front row, sit at the front row. Yeah, do it. Um, all right. Number four. Okay, so we've had number one was pray. Number two was attend. Number three, sit at the front. Uh, number four, um, okay, this is where the courage is really... Well, actually, courage comes in and sitting at the front, to be honest, the first few times you do it. Uh, this is where the courage four. and, like, the humility comes into it as well. Yeah. Um, get involved. And I'm going to say even more than get involved, get involved in an area that has serious need, not just the glamorous ones. Often mm-hmm. when I say get involved in your church, people are like, okay, I want to get on the worship team, you know, and that's <laughs> fine. Like, it's the go-to. Yeah, I, like it's it's not bad. Like worship is great. I love worship. That's what really got me into church. So I'm not saying don't join the worship. If your worship team has serious need, join the worship team. But if you already have like six full bands or whatever or groups doing music in your church and they like, but the children, like nobody is doing maybe the children's ministry or something and it's dying... Mm. Maybe that's a sign. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because a whole lot of people, they just want to be in the sort of more, I don't know, the what's perceived to be the more glamorous area yep. uh, involvement in church maybe. The people who want to get involved in church without somebody asking them are generally the people that want to be seen and want to be heard and want to have the nice roles. That's, yep. just, that's just generally how it goes. I remember when I was an intern at Avondale, we had to do a um, practical ministry component to our to our degree, and um, my at the church I was at, the very first thing that you did when you were a student pastor was that you had to do six months in kids' church, and that was just that was what you had to do. Hmm. Um, it was either three months or six months. It was it was a good chunk of time that you had to be in there every single week, um, and so. I initially, I was like, well, why are you making me do kids church? Like, I'm not a kids minister. I don't want to do this. But soon I realized that, oh, hang on. I'm at this church that is quite a, an up and, it's not an up and coming church. It was quite a lively church. It was a really cool church. It was one that a lot of people wanted to be a part of. And 
a lot of the people who wanted to be a part of the church were the sort of people who just wanted to preach and who just wanted to do the glamorous stuff. Like I'm talking about pastors and pastors in training Mm. and going into kids church for six months, um, which was tucked away. The rest of the congregation didn't see you. The only people who saw you were the kids and the, and the, you know, leaders running the, the actual ministry. And it taught me that number one, that kids ministry is really important. Um, even though, you know, we kind of relegate it sometimes to the mums and to the, the older ladies. Um, and number two, no position, no volunteer position, no job is above anyone. And that was a really, 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 um, Mm. Um, sorry, no job is a below anyone. <laughs> there you go. That's why I was like, I was, wait, I what? was like, wait, that's wrong. <laughs> yeah. um, no job is below anyone, even a, a even a student pastor. Which student pastors? Are, student pastors are funny, man. Because like, on the one hand, they're at the bottom of the food chain. On the other hand, a lot of them think far too highly of themselves. <laughs> they're simultaneously at the top and bottom of the food chain. <laughs> Oh, so it's it's so, like yeah. when you go it's like when you're in grade six in primary school and you're the top of the food chain and then you go to grade seven and you become the bottom of the food chain in high school but when you see the kids from your primary school you're still top of the food chain in fact now you're even more so because you're above where you were before so you're simultaneously <laughs> the top and bottom of the food chain in that oh, one that year so in your funny. life uh so weird it is weird and I've, I've probably thought about it way too much um <laughs> <laughs> But uh, like honestly, I don't think there's anything more rewarding than actually doing something that really helps your church. Um, you, you know what I mean? Like I think yeah. I, I remember f- for me when I was um, a student pastor and I remember I really wanted to be involved in the worship of the church. But the first few years, it was just nothing. Or the first mm. two, two, yeah, two years. It wasn't really until my third year. But I remember just going and being like, okay, I'm, I'm not going to get involved with worship, but I really love this and I really want to make this work for everybody. So I remember just asking the pastor, I was like, so what, what needs to be done? Where's, where's, what do you guys really need? They said, look, we just, at the moment, it's just me and this other guy setting up all of these chairs in the morning and all of these tables and stuff. I'm like, are you serious? They're like, yep. And I'm like, I'll do that. Like, I'll get a few friends and we'll, we'll just make this happen. And they were like, really? You do that? I'm like, absolutely. And so like that just became my thing. I'd go up and set up all the chairs and tables. Not, I couldn't do it every week, but like as much as I could. Um, and mm. it was awesome. I loved it. I'd have to be there at like 6 a.m. or something. But, you know, for me, it was so worth... No, I think 7 a.m. It was so worthwhile. <laughs> don't um, get crazy. Yeah, I know. I'm just, I was just trying to remember. I know it was really early, but I don't think it was yeah. 6 a.m. early. Um, <laughs> And yeah, uh, and I remember like watching the worship team practice and like I get to be in there while they are practicing and so I'm setting up all the chairs, like enjoying. So I almost get like two rounds of worship. So I loved it. Um, mm. Mm. And at the same, and you know, it was cool because when everybody would sit down, I'd be like, I set up that chair. Yeah, that was me, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And it was kind of cool because I sort of helped make not to speak too highly myself, but like I made the teams, I guess, and and then that sort of became a culture, like get like having like these groups of people who go in really early to set up all the chairs, and it was awesome. Yeah, and uh, honestly, that is such a gift. Like not just having the person that's willing to do the dirty jobs or doing the the not glamorous jobs, but the person who's willing to get other people involved as well. Like that's huge. True, absolutely. And you know, I think of like how many. Of like I think you mentioned it before, but like with, with kids' Sabbath schools, for example, or if you have a kids' church or your church, whatever it is, like how much it's the parents having to do everything. I mean, I'm not a parent, 
But I feel like they do enough in the week, like with their yeah. kids. Like, can like, wouldn't it just be awesome to have like a culture of people who just wanted to help out with kids ministries, not because they have kids, but just because they wanted to help out with kids ministries? Yes, and I think this is a really, it's actually a really quite a serious spiritual issue that you just pointed out because. You know, this is a culture in many of our churches where the um, the parents are the ones who are involved in kids ministries or pathfinders or you know teen ministries or whatever it may be because their kids are of that same age. Um, but when their kids grow up or their kids grow out of that age group, what happens a lot of the time um, is that those parents they move on and they do something else because well it doesn't affect my kids anymore so I'm not going to be the leader um, and I think that's really really quite dangerous because what you end up with is you end up with this consumeristic model with well if it affects me and my family I'll be involved with it but as soon as it doesn't affect me anymore I'm going to move on and I'm going to do something else and I think that's a really dangerous precedent that you're setting if that is what we're tolerating in our churches and you know like I mean I I can't really you know come down too hard on that because you know a lot of ministries in my church started because of a parent who saw a need and they wanted to fill the need for their kids and that is a beautiful thing um but I just think that it's not sustainable. What I think is sustainable and what I think is much better is if you are the sort of person that doesn't have children or you're the person that, you know, maybe your kids are grown up and you still want to be involved in kids' ministries um, because just because you see a need and mm. it doesn't benefit you, it doesn't benefit your kids, but you're doing it anyway. And to me, that speaks of incredible spiritual character. Yeah. Absolutely. Like serving in anything <clears throat> where it doesn't directly benefit you or your family. I don't know. I think that's always just awesome. Um, and yeah. really, really grows your, your spiritual maturity. Um, so, and I, I think it does like, I, it is important, I guess, for parents to be involved in their kids' spiritual life too. And that's why I like going on like Pathfinder camps with parents and all that sort of thing. Awesome. Absolutely awesome. But they need more, they, like in every church I've been to, they always need leaders who aren't just parents. And um, on the flip side of that, imagine if you're a parent and you have three kids and they're a huge handful and you came to Saturday or you came to Sunday and you were going to church and you were going to church knowing that your kids would be looked after and that your kids would be fed spiritually and that your kids would be in a safe environment and you don't have to um, and you don't have to actually be involved and you can participate with some other adults in, a, in an adult worship service that doesn't require you to be chasing after your kids all the time. Like how amazing would that be if you came to church and you knew that your kids were looked after? Um, I, I think that's a great gift that any church can give a parent. Absolutely. Yes. Ah, oh, and it makes it sustainable. I don't know. It's just there's so many pros to it. And at the end of the day, like, isn't that what you would want like when you're, I don't know, when you're a parent. Yeah. <laughs> it feels good. It just feels good to be able to give somebody a gift that they can't give themselves. Yeah. And like creating that better culture. It's again, creating a better culture where people who, people don't just serve themselves, they actually come to serve others. Um, yeah. And that's when churches really start doing that and heaps of people in a church start doing that. That's when churches really begin to change. And that's when a whole lot of things begin to unlock for churches uh, I've seen. And like new ministries start, 
I reckon, I reckon as well, that's when God begins to like bring people to churches um, because that's when mm. all of a sudden he begins to trust churches because he's realizing that these people aren't just there for themselves. They're actually there for others. Um, mm. And just a quick note on this as well. And I th- we're, we're finishing on this point for this episode and then we'll, we'll jump on to the next three points in the next episode. Um, but you don't need to be qualified. I mean, it helps, but <laughs> like if you're a primary school teacher <laughs> and then getting in with a primary school, thing, whatever, like that's awesome. But ultimately, like if you step out in faith, God qualifies you and it might be hard mm. to learn, but it's it's worth it. And it will, I think it equips you more for life as well. Like if you think like, okay, well, we have a serious lack of deacons in this church or whatever. Um, I'm really not a handy kind of person. I don't know if I'm, mm. God will qualify you. Like, honestly, yeah. like, he'll give you the skills you need. Maybe not overnight. Maybe you'll have to do a bit of work too. Probably you'll have to do a bit of work too. But ultimately, like, he'll equip you for it. Yeah, 100%. 100%. I don't know how many times I have thought, I'm not cut out for this. I can't do this. This is not me. And I've stepped out anyway. And you learn along the way, oh, actually, step one, step two, step three. And then before you know it, you're actually doing something that you never thought that you could do before. It's just that's just how it works. You just you figure out how how to do it by doing it. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes. Bada bing, bada boom. Just... <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's the what you, you learn best by teaching. Yes, a hundred percent. Yeah, and that's like I think if it's like you need your church needs more Sabbath school teachers, just get into it. You know, maybe yeah. just for a season or whatever. It's up to you, but. Like honestly, you will you will grow so much when you step into that sort of stuff, and um, you will like just in you doing that, it begins to create this culture, um, mm. and I just think it's so exciting. So anyway, yeah. Any more yeah. thoughts on that one, Jesse? Oh man, I, I yeah. I just think I think involvement and engagement is is yeah. It's so it's so powerful um, because reality is everything that we've talked we've talked about so far those first four um, ideas and really going onto it is about engagement and it's about taking responsibility. Um, and the reality is this is stuff that you can do, nobody else can do for you. Um, and it, it's about attitude, it's about engagement. Um, yeah, no, I, I just I just think that seriously, it's like one of the most overlooked things of everything that we're really talking about are just very simple things that only you can do. And I think that's the big difference. It's not that the church can do it for you. The church can't pray for you. The church can't attend. The church can't sit, make you sit at the front. The church can't make you get involved. Um, we can help facilitate that stuff. But at the end of the day, it's really on us to be able to follow through for ourselves. So yeah, that's the power in it, really. Absolutely. Hmm. So yeah, um, recap. Pray, attend, sit in the front and get involved in an area that has need in your church. Um, If you need to sort out what area has need, just talk to your pastor, talk to the elders. They'll know. Trust me, it'll be coming up all the time. (laughs) They will know. And you you honestly coming up to them and asking that could be an answer to their prayers. It probably will be. (laughs) It probably will be. (laughs) We know exactly what that's like. There is never going to be a situation where you come to your pastor or you want to go elders and say, are there any areas of need? And they'll be like, you know what? No, I think we're good. <laughs> like, I don't think I don't think that that's ever happened. I don't think that will ever happen. <laughs> if that does happen, can you please let us know? I, I'm so interested. <laughs> but yeah, so those are our, our first four. In the next episode, we've got um, three more steps. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and they're a little bit harder. Um, maybe, I don't know, a little bit harder. Like the first, that, anyway. Um, maybe take a little bit more planning, but they um, are going to be when, if you've got like bigger changes that you want to make in your church, um, the next three is really going to be where where it's at to like make these next big changes. Um, mm. But you, you cannot do the next three without the first four, in my opinion. Yes, 100%. Um, so anyway, we are really looking forward to the rest of this sort of series for the month and this theme whatever it is i don't know (laughs) um and we really want to hear from you about this so maybe if you've done these four let us know um or if you have any questions or if you think we've got it totally wrong please let us know so we can learn and get better Absolutely. And the best place that you can let us know that is in our Facebook community. Just simply head to facebook.com and type in Burn the Haystack community. Join using the secret password, Poppy Gloria. And that is an awesome place for us to be able to all engage with you and your questions and your doubts and your thoughts and everything in between. Yeah. And we have more people joining every week. So the discussions are hopefully getting more and more vibrant. (laughs) We engage on there as well. So it's a great way to have like direct connection with with us as well and ask us questions about everything um, and other people to chip in too and to see who else is listening too you can spy on people listening (laughs) (laughs) Um, so yeah uh, anyway but for all things Burn the Haystack make sure you go to burnthehaystack.org yeah and if you haven't already subscribed please subscribe and write us a uh, review or give us a rating on the podcatching app of your choice we'd really appreciate it if you did helps us get out there helps us get more exposure and helps us grow absolutely so remember that we love you and it has to be you that's my that's my takeaway it has to be you <laughs> that is Josh and Jesse out